Well, did you know that you cannot walk in a straight line if you're blindfolded? Did you know that? You might think you can. You might think, oh, I could put a blindfold on my face and I'm super competent and I could walk in a straight line, but you can't. And actually, if you try to walk in a straight line while you're blindfolded, uh, you'll think you're walking in a straight line, but you won't be. You'll veer one way or the other and you'll probably actually end up walking in circles. If you don't believe me, you can try it sometime. Uh, go to an open space so you don't run into something. Uh, and then turn on your phone GPS or have someone watch you uh, and just walk for a few minutes and see what happens. You won't walk in a straight line. Uh, if you don't want to do that because you're afraid of falling, that's understandable. Uh, I linked an NPR video uh, in the Church Center app that you can check out. And uh, people have done study after study to try and determine why people can't walk in a straight line when they lose the ability to fix their eyes on something ahead of them. But nobody can figure out uh, why that's the case. The simple fact remains, though, uh, if people can't look ahead, if they can't fix their eyes on what's ahead of them, they end up walking, or as the video shows, driving or swimming in circles. Our faith is a lot like that, and our text this morning is going to help us navigate so that we don't end up walking in circles through life. We'll be continuing on in our series uh, through the book of Colossians uh, by looking at chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 through 10. So if you'd like to open your Bible uh, to that, or the Church Center app also has all the sermon notes uh, and the texts there, and you can follow along. And as we look at that this morning, we're going to see two reminders uh, and then two, and two warnings for the church uh, at Colossae, the Colossian church, and consequently for us Today. So our message this morning is titled, Walking in Christ. And as I consulted some commentaries uh, this week, many scholars suggested that the whole book of Colossians climaxes and hinges on these ten or so verses. As Paul writes letters to the church, typically he begins with theology, and in this case, Christology. So he writes about how great Jesus is and who he is uh, and what he's done, and then he shifts to application. That's kind of how he structures his letters. Uh, And this morning, we're going to see that transition. Uh, We saw who Jesus was, and we're going to see a little bit of how we're to live in light of who Christ is. So let's dive in with Colossians chapter 2, starting with verses 1 through 3. Paul writes this, For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love, so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Reminder number one this morning, our treasure is in Christ. Paul has just written chapter 1 to remind the Colossians of the glory of Jesus Christ. And as we saw last week of the pain and passion and purpose and power of Paul's ministry. See, Paul is obsessed with the gospel and his high view of Jesus Christ pours into everything he writes. So why does Paul write the letter of Colossians? What's his mission and purpose? What does he want to Communicate Well, I think he tells us here in verses 2 and 3, he says, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of a complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, 
Christ. In him, that is in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, Paul wants us to understand that if we want to know who God is, if we want to understand the mystery of the one who is beyond all comprehension, we must get to know Jesus Christ. In him, that is in Jesus, are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, get to know him. Get to know him. It's easy for us to skip by that, but Paul is writing primarily to believers in this letter, to the church, to you and I who are gathered here or who are watching online, who are secure in our relationship with Jesus. We can have the riches of complete understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. All we have to do is find the hidden treasure that is in Christ Jesus. That's where wisdom and knowledge exist. That's where knowing who God is is found. That's where purpose and passion go to flourish. In Jesus, that's where sin goes to die and life abundant is found. Our treasure is not in this world. It's not finding satisfying work. It's not in our family or in our relationship. In just a minute, we're going to see that Paul says it's not in reasonable arguments. Our treasure is found in Jesus Christ. So if you're listening to this message this morning, you need to hear this. Jesus Christ is your treasure. Kids, Jesus is your treasure. He's awesome. You want to know him. Students, as you navigate 2020 and look towards your future and figure out what you want to do with your life, know and remember that Jesus is your treasure. In him are hidden all wisdom and knowledge. Parents and families struggling and raising your kids, whether young or old, and wondering if you're doing a good job. Young marrieds, singles, empty nesters, seniors looking back on a life lived and wondering if it was worth it, wondering if you're leaving the legacy you want. We're all looking for wisdom and knowledge. We're all wanting to do better. We want to be better. We want to live better and know more and act wisely. All of it is found in Jesus Christ as we sink deeper and deeper into knowing him, mining the depths of who he is. So how do we tap into this treasure that is Jesus Christ? How do we get to know Jesus in this life-transforming way? Well, friends, I think you already know the answer. We get to know Jesus Christ primarily through a steady diet of the Word of God. Primarily through a steady diet of the Word of God. See, this book that you have in front of you isn't just paper and ink. If you're scrolling on an app, it's not just letters and pixels on a screen. Hebrews chapter 4 reminds us that the Word of God is living and effective, or living and active, and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating us as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is alive and it transforms you as you interact with it, as you allow it to get into your soul. It will change you. Can I be uh, brutally honest with all of you for just uh, one minute as a pastor who loves and cares for your soul? If the only thing that you're doing every week to grow in Jesus is showing up or tuning in 
for a sermon on Sunday. If that's all you're doing to develop your relationship with him and to get to know him more, you're never going to flourish and grow and be transformed like God wants you to. It's just not going to happen. If the only thing you do is show up on Sundays or watch online, you're never going to grow like God wants you to. Yes, come. Be here. I want you to be here. I want you to be taking it online. I want you to be hearing encouraging messages and participating in awesome worship. But then, during the week, get in the Word. Get in the Word. Spend time searching the depths of the unbelievable treasure we have in Jesus. Spend time in conversation with your Father in heaven, asking Him to help you know Him more. You won't transform yourself through this process, but He will. God will bring about transformation in your life. And if you struggle with this, and I have never met a Christian who doesn't struggle with reading Scripture, who doesn't struggle with their prayer life, you can talk to God about that. God's actually big enough to handle the fact that sometimes you don't want to get to know Him, that sometimes you don't want to spend time with Him, that you don't want to even talk to Him. God can handle that. So go to Him when you're struggling and just talk to Him. God, grow my heart's affection for you. Grow my heart's affection for the Word. Give me a deeper desire to spend time with you, to spend time in your Word. And when you do that, when you go to your Father in heaven, He'll be excited to meet you in that place and to grow you through that. Reminder number one, our treasure is in Christ. Paul quickly follows up this reminder with a warning. Let's look at verses four and five. I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. Warning number one, do not be deceived by arguments that sound reasonable. I am telling you this, Paul says, that's everything that he said up to this point, all of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two. I'm telling you all this about Jesus so that you won't be deceived. Well, deceived by what? Paul says, arguments that sound reasonable, by subtle, nuanced half-truths that sound just good enough that we as Christians start to believe them. We start to think, think things like, we've got this on our own, or we can look for satisfaction elsewhere, or maybe we can just pull our lives up, we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? There's a reason that self-help books consistently rank at the top of bestseller lists. Some of the most popular YouTubers and social media personalities thrive on offering advice about how you can have a better life, how you can exceed in this area or that area. Be a better you, right? We're inundated with this message, and the church isn't exempt from it. Books like Rachel Hollis's Girl, Wash Your Face, or Joel Osteen's Your Best Life Now draw us in with their hopeful pictures of finding happiness and success, and they mix in just enough scripture and biblical truth and wisdom to make us think, huh, maybe this is true after all. Maybe I should be looking for more than just Jesus. Maybe I'll be fulfilled with Jesus and. Jesus and a little bit more money. Jesus and a little bit better life. Jesus and, you put it here. 
Paul slips this warning in just before rejoicing with the Christians in Colossae uh, for the strength of their faith. They're doing great. Paul says that they're walking with Jesus. They're well-ordered. They're strong. But it's precisely in those moments that Paul knows that we need to be on high alert because that's when we slip into complacency. We think we're doing great and we think we've got it all under control and the enemy swoops in and he plants an idea. He puts a book or an article or a politician or a video in front of us promising that our life can be better. It can be more fulfilling if we just do this, if we just watch that, if we just read this, if we vote this way or that way. Friends, the truth of the matter is that we are most fulfilled when we are at rest, mining the depths of the goodness of Jesus Christ. We are most fulfilled when we're resting in Jesus and his goodness. Don't be deceived by these arguments that say that you deserve more or that you've only got one life, so you might as well enjoy it and live it how you see fit or that you can find satisfaction in yourself if you just try harder. Everything the world has to offer pales in comparison with the glory of Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father on high and he is our treasure. He's our treasure. Cherish him. Get to know him. Fall in love with him. And then when these fake gospels, these empty promises, these half-truths float on in and try to grab your attention and pull you away, you'll have no problem looking at Jesus and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that the satisfaction that the world offers is a lie. It's a lie. Only Jesus satisfies. Paul offers up the solution to these reasonable arguments in verses 6 to 7. He says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Warning, sorry, reminder number two, continue to live, or as some translations say, continue to walk in Christ. The counter to this deception, these reasonable arguments, is walking in Christ. Walking with Christ is being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Do you remember uh, when you were in school, uh, some of you, this was a while ago, some of you, it was a little more recently, uh, you knew uh, a test was coming up and your teacher told you this is a multiple choice exam. You got pretty excited about that, right? Why? Because you knew you didn't have to know the material as well. You could recognize the answer if it was one of these four below that question, right? And then you showed up on test day and your teacher pulled something like this. Who won a Nobel Prize for discovering the structure of the DNA? And they said A, B, C, A and B, B and C, A and C, all of the above, or maybe someone else. And you thought, oh no, I did not study nearly hard enough for this exam. And your teacher, looking out at the classroom, uh, grinned as you began to sweat, right? As teachers uh, at our services, I know how it is. You guys love to watch students sweat. So what's the only way that you could pass this kind of test? It was by knowing the material inside and out, right? You could never hope to recognize an answer on a test like this. You had to know the answers going in. It's the same thing with these arguments that sound 
reasonable. The only way we can combat the attacks of the enemy is to get to know real truth. And real truth, real knowledge, real wisdom are only found in Jesus. And we know him, how? Through the revealed word of God. Paul's writing to believers, remember? So brothers and sisters in Christ, this call, this reminder is to you and to me. It's a reminder to continue to walk in Christ, right? We know the reasons why. We know that Jesus is good, that he's Lord over all. If we flip back just one page to chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, we see all kinds of awesome things about Jesus, right? He's the image of the the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Everything was created by him and for him and through him. He's ruler over rulers. He's before all things. He holds everything together. He's the head of the body, that is, the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. God is pleased to dwell in him. Through him, he's reconciled all things to himself by his shed blood on the cross. Jesus needs no further introduction. We don't need to be sold on him. He's good. He brings joy. He brings hope. He fixes pain. He deals with sin. So let your roots sink deep into the soil that he provides and allow him to build you up in his strength. I think that's one of the best parts of this whole thing. Jesus does all the work. Jesus does all the work. He did all the work on the cross as he shed his blood on our behalf and paid the price for our sin, and he does all the work now. We can't root ourselves in him. We have to allow ourselves to be rooted. We can't build ourselves up. We have to allow him to build us. We allow him to build us up, to transform us, to grow us, to challenge and encourage us. It's not a can-do attitude that helps us stay firm in our faith. It's an attitude of, there's no way I can do this. Please, Jesus, help me. That's the attitude we have to have. Christian recording artist uh, Jeremy Camp lost his wife at a young age, and I listened to a radio interview with him uh, some years ago, right before he played at the college I attended to, and it stuck with me. Uh, When people ask him how he got through and how he still gets through such a devastating loss. Uh, He answers something like this. He says, so many people say that Jesus is their crutch, right? He's, He's our crutch. He helps us walk along and navigate life. Well, Jesus isn't my crutch. Jesus is my stretcher. He carries me. He's my stretcher. Jesus isn't our crutch. He's our stretcher. He carries us. He does all the hard work. He plants He waters, he fertilizes, he prunes, he nourishes, he provides sunlight and causes fruit to grow. We just get to know him and sink deeper and deeper into what he's providing. And then when someone comes along and tries to tell us that the ground we're planted in isn't good, that there are maybe better nutrients somewhere else, or that we could get up and pull our roots out and walk somewhere else and, you know, do better for ourselves, make a better life. We don't even have to fight that battle. We don't have to push back. We just look at our treasure and we say, no thanks. 
No thanks, I know what I've got. My treasure is in Jesus, and it's better than anything this world can offer. Reminder number two, continue to walk in Christ. Paul concludes our text this morning with a final warning. Don't be taken captive by the world rather than Christ. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled with him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Church, we've got two options as we wrap up today and head towards the Lord's table. We can be taken captive through philosophy and empty deceit, as Paul says, through what the world offers, through politicians promising to fulfill our deepest desires for justice and goodness, through books that promise that we can have a better life, through careers or marriages or relationships or experiences that promise to fulfill us. We can be taken captive by any one of those narratives, but we already know it's a lie. We already know it's a lie. Or, option two, we can be taken captive by Christ. The fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled with him. You who are in Jesus, who have been covered by his blood, who have placed your trust in him and are following after him, you have been filled with him, and he is the head over every ruler and authority. We can give ourselves over to lies. We can allow ourselves to be deceived. We can pretend what we know won't fulfill us will. Or we can relish in the treasure of Christ. All wisdom and knowledge, the mystery of God revealed, the fullness of God in him, and he fills you. You can close your eyes to the truth in front of you and try to walk in a straight line towards Jesus, but it won't work. The world and its deception is like a blindfold. And when we put it on, when we give ourselves over and we allow ourselves to be deceived, we walk in circles through life instead of walking towards Jesus. So which one do you want? Which one do you want? Do you want an illusion or do you want the real thing? Do you want to walk in circles or do you want to walk towards Jesus, the glorious Son of God, who loves you beyond all measure. I'm going to ask you to do three things as we conclude this morning. First, uh, reread Colossians 1, 15 through 20. So turn back a page and read that hymn that speaks of the glory of Jesus Christ. And then go back and read the text that we talked about this morning and be reminded of the glory of Jesus and why we're following after him and the fullness and satisfaction that he offers. Second, chew on the difference between being taken captive by the world and being rooted in Christ. Kind of like when you bite into that amazing piece of meat, you got to chew on it for a little while. Well, to get the depths of this, we got to chew on it a little while. What does it mean to be taken captive by the world versus what does it mean to be rooted in Christ? Spend some time thinking about what that might look like in your life. And finally, celebrate communion with me this morning. It's a privilege 
for us as believers to go to the table together and to proclaim the Lord Jesus and all that he's done, isn't it? He's so good. He's so righteous. He's so kind. He brings us so much joy and peace and comfort. I don't know what you're feeling this morning. I don't know if you're feeling totally overwhelmed or if you're feeling on top of the world. Uh, It's about 11.15. There's a fair chance that many of you have felt both of those already this morning, on top of the world and totally overwhelmed. And I can't promise you that what you're experiencing in life is going to get easier or that your life is going to get better from this point forward. But I can promise you this. Jesus is good. And he loves you. And he is enough. He's enough. And so as we come to the table together, let's remember what he's done on our behalf. Let's soak in his grace that covers us because of his work on the cross. As we go to the table, we have just three simple instructions here at Crossview Church. Uh, Jen mentioned one of them before. We practice what's called open communion. So that means if you're here this morning or if you're tuning in online, wherever you are, you don't need to be a member of Crossview Church to participate. You just need to be a member of the body of Christ, having confessed him as Lord of your life. Second, Parents, we recognize you as the spiritual leaders of your families. And so if your kids have made that confession and are following after Jesus, you're welcome to serve communion to them. And finally, we'll take the elements together here uh, in just a moment. So if you would with me, open up, uh, if you're here, your bread and take that out. In the book of 1 Corinthians, we read that on the night when he was betrayed, The Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And now the cup. Scripture says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this time that we have together around the communion table. We're so grateful for your shed blood and your broken body that covers us Lord, you died on our behalf and we have freedom and life because of what you've done. And so we praise you for that this morning. We praise you for who you are and for the way that you love us. Lord, we thank you for your word and for these reminders and these warnings for us this morning that Paul penned so many years ago. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for the gospel and for the good news and that in him we find life and we find freedom. And we pray that you would grow our heart's affection for you. We pray that you would encourage us as we seek to read your word and to talk to you and to get to know you more deeply. And Lord, where we're struggling with that, would you help? Uh, We confess that we often aren't uh, desiring after you like we should, but Lord, we know that you're big enough to handle that. So would you just encourage us? Lord, we thank you for your love. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.